Welcome, folks, to the first episode of Season 2, where we will begin to explore the basic principles God has revealed through the Holy Scripture. Now, as we review these doctrines, take care in knowing that they are erected on the foundation of God's nature and are not to be viewed in a vacuum or separated out as a standalone principle. Rather, they are the pillars that support the Christian worldview and are significant in helping us build and live lives that are pleasing to God. The Apostle Paul took great care to make this same point in his second pastoral letter to his good friend Timothy. Paul states this, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I am Pastor Will Hunsaker, and you are listening to Brand of Man, building one disciple at a time for the cause of Christ, not through the agencies of man, but by the grace of God. Let us pray. Holy and merciful Father, we pray that you will guide us with your Holy Spirit so that we might know the power of your word, so that we may know the principles you have laid out for us to apply in our lives. We humbly ask, Lord, that you do so not for the sake of our glorification, but for yours. So today, we will take a brief look and how we can have confidence in the authority of Scripture. But why is it important to know the Bible speaks with authority? Well, all of Christianity basically rests upon what is written in the Holy Bible. It is where God has revealed what He wants us to know about Himself, what His plans are for His creation, and how He wants us to live our lives. There should be nothing that outlines the Christian faith outside of Scripture. It is the sole authority for all who believe. So how can we be certain what is written in the Bible is trustworthy and dependable? Well, first we need to understand what the Bible is, how it's structured, which is a historical account of 66 individual records divided into two categories, 39 records in the Old Testament and 27 records in the New Testament, compiled over a period of about 1,500 years. Now let's Pause here just a moment and look at how historical documents are typically determined to be dependable. Very important. We often hear comments from skeptics that the Bible cannot be proven scientifically, which is a true statement. However, virtually nothing in recorded history can be proven using the scientific method. To utilize the scientific method, the subject, in this case the Bible, must be observable, which leads to a developed theory, a question, a guess. The theory is then tested by various forms of measurements, where the results must be repeatable under the same conditions. Now, I understand that will melt your brain a bit, so let's look at it another way. Science, using the scientific method, cannot prove that Alexander the Great was a man, because the scientific method cannot be utilized as it was intended. Now, what can prove Alexander the Great was a man is the evidentiary method which is the method primarily used to determine the reliability of historical documents. We see this same method used by law enforcement and in courtrooms today. This method uses essentially four categories of evidence. Physical evidence, which is evidence that can be seen and touched. Documentary, which is evidence in the form of writings and records. Demonstrative, 
which is evidence used to recreate an event. And then, of course, you have testimony, which is evidence from witnesses. So if we use the evidentiary method and we apply as many of those categories of evidence we can, we can reliably conclude that Alexander the Great was a man, but not scientifically. So while the authority of the Bible cannot be proven using the scientific method, it can be overwhelmingly proven using the evidentiary method. Now, does the Bible point to the use of this type of method to determine its reliability? Yeah, in a way it does. From the second epistle or the second letter of Peter, Peter states this, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Now, we can clearly see here from Peter's text that he is confronted by some of the same questions we are today. He made claim that he and other disciples did not follow cleverly devised tales. That was probably an accusation. Instead, his information was similar to what we have today. We have 66 separate records written actually on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Over 40 authors from multiple walks of life wrote these records. There were kings, there were soldiers, fishermen, tax collectors, some were even slaves, most of whom did not even know each other. They covered hundreds of topics. And as I said before, over the period of 1,500 years, all of which continuing the same narrative, the revealed nature of God, his work of creation, his provincial care, his promises, his judgment, and his salvation. This is an enormous amount of documentary evidence. But what would greatly help the authority of this documentary evidence that we have? If you say witnesses, you'd be correct. So let's look at a few verses from the gospel according to Luke. Luke wrote this, insomuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the beginning, were eyewitnesses and servants of the work. It seemed fitting to me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now, Luke was an excellent historian, if you read his whole gospel. And his gospel was one of four, all giving an historical account of the same events from different perspectives. A standard highly sought after, by the way, concerning witness testimony. The apostle John also made a declaration concerning witness testimony, of which he was actually an eyewitness. John wrote this, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifest, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be complete. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. So the records of Scripture, the records of Scripture are supported by witness testimony. But how many witnesses? Well, as the Apostle Paul actually outlined, over 500 witnesses. In his first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul writes this, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, 
in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried. And he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. So over 500 people were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ, many of which were still alive when Paul wrote this epistle, and not one of them has ever claimed it to be false. So you have discussed, or we have discussed, an enormous amount of documentary evidence supported by a multitude of witness testimony. So what about physical and and demonstrative evidence? What evidence do we have that we can touch to recreate the events of Scripture? Well, to date, there have been approximately 2,800 archaeological excavations directly linked to biblical events and biblical time periods. Not one of them, not one of them contradicts any scriptural account. Most, in fact, prove the validity of the event. Now we come to an age-old question of translation reliability. How can the Bible have any authority or reliability when it has been copied over and over again for thousands of years? It is well known that the originals or autographs of almost all significant ancient writings are missing. This is mostly due to the medium upon which they were written hides, plant material. It made them very difficult to maintain over a long period of time. So we rely on manuscripts, which are copies of the original, specifically manuscripts written in the original languages of the record in question. And in the case of the 66 historical records of the Bible, the original language were Hebrew and Aramaic for the Old Testament and Greek for the New Testament. Now, this is significant as all copies of the Bible are made using the manuscripts, the copies, written in the original languages and translated into the intended language. For example, a new American Standard Bible today has not been copied and translated from another English version. Rather, it's copied and translated from the original language manuscripts. So how many of these manuscripts do we have? After all, if we only have a few dozen, then the level of historical authority drops significantly. The more we have, the more they match, the better the authority we have. Well, just the manuscripts from the New Testament alone total over 3,500, with dates of their writing between just 50 and 200 years from the original writing. In addition, the translation errors between the copies are less than 1%, and none of those errors change the meaning of the text. The closest number of manuscripts we have Of other ancient writings, the closest one is from Homer's Iliad, which has approximately 300 manuscripts. However, the copies are over 2,000 years from the originals, and they have significant errors and alterations. Another ancient writing is Gaelic Wars by Julius Caesar. Actually, much of what we know and what is taught 
about Julius Caesar, the Roman emperor, comes from this ancient work that he wrote. How many manuscripts exist today? 10. They were copied a thousand years from the original, and many errors exist. How about the works of one of the greatest philosophers of all time, Socrates? You've heard of him? How many manuscripts do we have of his work? Zero. None. Most of what we know about Socrates, most of his work, most of about him personally, comes from his student, Plato, of which, of his work, we have seven manuscripts, copied over 1,300 years from the original. The work of both Socrates, of which we have no manuscripts, and Plato, of which we have only seven, is taught at almost every college in the world in philosophy. Now, I could go on and on with similar examples, but the point is this. No significant ancient writing even comes close to the existing manuscripts of the Holy Scripture, whose accuracy among the manuscripts is over 99%. So if one would have wished to change the original work of the Bible, to alter it in some way, they would have to have had to find and change every manuscript in every language it was translated. They could not leave behind any evidence that they changed it, and they could never tell anyone. That's a heavy lift, to say the least, and statistically impossible. Now, the Bible is not just a collection of historical records and eyewitness accounts. It's also an account of supernatural events. This is significant about the Bible. From the Apostle Peter, For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Now, this is, of course, an account of the transfiguration of Jesus, a supernatural event. And there is much, much more in the New Testament alone. The calming of the seas, calming of the weather, healing of the sick, casting out of demons, feeding the 5,000, raising the dead, and a whole lot more. Eyewitness testimony, a multitude of documentation and archaeological evidence. Jesus would fulfill over 300 prophecies during his lifetime, all of which were made by men 1,000 years before he walked the earth from the Apostle Peter. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Folks, we have an enormous amount of evidence in support of biblical authority, way too much to cover here. 66 historical accounts, all telling of one God and his redemptive story, written on three continents in three languages from 40-plus authors, most of whom did not know each other and had no knowledge of each other. Over 1,500 years, they wrote these records. And we now, to date, have 2,800-plus archaeological digs that support the events of Scripture. The believer, of course, knows that this is the divine work of God, without error and suitable for every spiritual work. But even the critic has very little room for doubt. I believe it would be Psalms 14, verse 1, that says it best. The fool has said in his heart, I repeat, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Brandon Man, please subscribe as we will proclaim the authority of Scripture and continue to bring you biblical truths each and every week. God bless you all. Next week on Brand of Man, we will discuss the biblical doctrine of creation.